0: Paul, and thank you, Gilbert. appreciate that. And we know that God is waiting just a little longer just for those to come to him. What a precious promise that is we actually find in 2 Peter chapter 3. But let's go right to our scriptures this, after, this morning. I'm sorry, just about messed that up. <laughs> this morning, welcome. Let's go to Mark chapter 14. We continue on in the last week of Jesus' life, what we know as Passion Week. And uh, it's been a remarkable study in looking at how Jesus would have reacted to many situations. We got started there, actually, in looking at the power that Jesus exhibited over so many things. There was nothing of which He was not stronger than, nothing He was more powerful than. And then we find now we're actually coming to Thursday night. We're less than 24 hours away from Him hanging on a cross, 24 hours away from literally Passover, and communion, becoming almost united at that point. It be the end of Passover, the beginning of communion, the beginning of us to remember what Jesus Christ had accomplished on Calvary Street. This is the moment. This is the hour, Thursday night, just less than 24 hours away from when he would bear the sins of the world. Well, let's go to Mark chapter 14 now. Mark chapter 14. I'm going to read where we uh, were at last week, at least a portion of it, and we'll start in verse 12. Mark chapter 14, verse twelve. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go you into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say you to the goodman of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared, and there make ready for us. And his disciples went forth, came into the city, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said, Unto them it is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and brake it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And may God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. Let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we come in to your presence, thanking you for you being here with us as we worship you, as we praise your name. Father, as we look to the word, we would ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, allow us to see you more clearly than we've ever seen you. We'd ask that it would be done exclusively through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we know that the Word is strong and powerful. will never pass away, even though heaven and earth will pass away as you spoke to those disciples over 2,000 years ago. Father, it's true today. Jesus Christ is coming back. There's no question. It's been stated by Jesus Himself. The Word of God reveals it. Scripture foundational. Father, as we go to it again, we thank you for those that are here. You know their needs better than they do. There's no problem. There's no situation that is aside from you knowing. Father, before they even know their needs, you are already beginning to provide. Father, we reach out to them from you, asking you to take care of them. Father, those that are hurting today, that you would put your arms around them, give them what they need. Now these moments, Father, we commit back to you with anticipation, asking the Spirit to lead and guide us through the power of the Word. In Christ's precious and holy name, amen. Well, the last week of Jesus' life, it certainly would have went a lot quicker than we've taken time to unfold it. It seems like we've been going at this for quite some time. Um, But it's one that, after the fact, if you had situations in your life that Maybe it went rather quickly, and yet when you were able to take a step back and say, whoa, just a second, that was amazing. God delivered me from that. There's situations that you've grown immensely, things that you can take home, shall we say, take home notes to, that you can use in your life later. These moments that Jesus lived with these disciples, walked and talked with them for three years, and now we've culminated it down to the last week. We know that on Saturday the previous Saturday, he would have come into the area. For what reason? The thing they're actually celebrating on this night, Passover. Passover to them, to the Israelites, was very, very sacred. It was a really big deal. It had been going on for about 1,500 years to this point. And it started way back when the Israelites had been held captive by the Egyptians. They were slaves for 400 years. They had gotten there, if you even go way back in history, that literally because of a drought. And if you know that the providence of God that young man by the name of Joseph. Joseph was that favored son of his dad, Jacob, right? And unfortunately for the rest of the family, Jacob made that rather known. When you wear around a coat of many colors, it's very brilliant, you pick up on that. His brothers hated him, hated him immensely. And without getting bogged down too much, it's amazing though how God worked details, which would have been seen as very bad. In fact, in Genesis chapter 50, even after Jacob had passed away and these brothers still had a guilty conscience, they had sold their brother, sold their brother to the Ishmaelites and he ends up in Egypt. I mean, have any of you thought about selling your brother or sister? Not for very long, probably. and It was probably not carried out. Even though they were smiling, there was a thought there, wasn't there? But Joseph, it actually happened. He was sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt in the hands of Potiphar. He did everything right and you know the story. Everything went wrong. Everything went wrong. He's in prison illegitimately. He has done everything right, and it's terrible. There's some moments of which we raise our hand. God, did you forget me? Joseph had that one moment after he had, remember the butler and the baker, how they were, one was returned to service and the other one was actually slain. His head was removed. And Joseph said to the one that was returned, he said, don't forget me. Please don't forget me. Two years went by. You ever had two years just crawl along and you're, and you're in prison for nothing for the wrong reason? That's Joseph. I gotta fast, I gotta keep moving because how am I gonna get back to this, right? So, but, but it's amazing that literally that moment when Joseph was installed as second in command of the prime minister, it set up the deliverance of those, those his family literally, who came looking for food in Egypt of which he is in charge of. How else could have you gotten Joseph there? but to foretell a dream to the Pharaoh of which no one else could talk about. You talk about the providence of God. It's totally amazing. Is it not? He's working. He's just the same God that's here today. He's the same God in 2022 where things look out of control. And by the way, a lot of it is out of control, but God is still in charge. There's not one thing of which he's not in charge of ultimately. We've, we've been going through revel- Revelation, well, sort of. We've been in Matthew 24-25 talking about the Olivet Discourse, talking what was well, you guys saying about today? Literally, all of this is taking place for more to come to Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. All the societal things and all of this moving and shaking and everything, we have been delayed from Jesus' coming back because there's more that need to know Jesus. That's literally what this is about. And here we are at this hour. Now, did you see how fast they forwarded from Joseph back to Jesus? It was amazing. But the Passover, I want to I take just a few moments there. the Passover to a Jew was incredibly important because after Joseph had left the scene, People forgot about him. The Egyptians started to take the Israelites for, for granted. In fact, they began to make slaves of them. They were the building project people. No pay, just make them work. It got worse than that. Literally get to the point where they were actually not even being allowed to have their families prosper. All of the young boys, baby boys, were killed, euthanized, so that they couldn't move forward as a country. God reached down and provided a man, Moses, They're going to lead them out of Egypt. Ten plagues ensue. The last one was, of which this event, the Passover, was made fluid. It was the death of the firstborn. And those Jews, those believing Jews, the Israelites needed to put the blood of a lamb, an innocent lamb that was chosen. Now, this is set up in Exodus chapter 12. And it's clear from there that On the 14th, this was the beginning festival for the Israelites. This was really a big deal, which was 1,500 years before Jesus now is going to fulfill this promise that becomes fulfillment. On the 14th of Nisan, which would be the first month of the year for the Jewish calendar, they had to kill this Passover lamb. It was selected on the 10th. This is from last week. And if we think about it, now let's pass through our week. No pun intended. Jesus on a Thursday night is now taking the last Passover. This is the last one needed because God is going to supply the lamb that's required to fulfill the promise that he'd set out by passing over through the death of an innocent substitute lamb. This is the night all of that comes to fruition, literally, the commemoration of those two events. But if you remember, Saturday he's in Bethany visiting his friends. Jesus, this is, no? He's visiting his friends, Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? That would have brought a buzz to the community, right? Bethany would be just two miles out of Jerusalem. It would be part of Jerusalem, just a little suburb, if you will. And to see a man that had died, and Jesus comes to the to the to the family home and speaks and says, "Lazarus, come forth." There were Jews that saw this happen in real time. Someone walked out of a grave that had been dead for four days. That caused a stir. In fact, it even tells us in the Gospel, we, we spent some time there, that people came from Jerusalem on the following day, which was Sunday, to see this man, literally, that raised Lazarus to life. He came out. On Monday, now let's think about this for a second. Now, if you go to Exodus chapter 12, I think we might have done this last week. The selection for the lamb that was used for the Passover, this innocent substitute the blood of that lamb that had to be put on the doorpost for the angel of death to pass over, that word Passover that happened way back in Egypt, that lamb was selected four days previous. The Passover was going to be Nisan 14, which was Friday. These are on Thursday night when Jesus and the disciples are gathered. The next day, that Passover would take place at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So four days previous to that would make it a Monday, Friday being the 14th. Monday was the day of selection of the Lamb. Do you know who traversed the streets of Jerusalem and people claimed him to be king? was Jesus Christ, who was the Lamb of God, who was the Passover Lamb that literally was the one that was going to give his entire life for those that needed him. So he was selected by God on that Monday. Tuesday, what would you do if you were crowned king? Well, I know what the Jews thought he was going to do. He was going to go downtown to the Romans and take them out because here comes the kingdom of God, right? That would make sense. That's not what Jesus did. First thing, first order of business on a Tuesday morning, you have four days to live is you go downtown to the temple of God and take it back for God. It had been totally merchandised, shall we say. It was commercialized. In fact, I've said it a couple of other times, but there's about 35 acres in the complex. So think of that, farmers. 35 acres. That was the temple area. And the lower gates, actually there was a gate that went through both sides of the temple. They used that as literally a travel fair for people to going through the city. Through the temple. Jesus put an end to it on that day on Tuesday morning. He cleaned the temple. On Tuesday and Wednesday were probably the most delightful times, literally, that the people had known because Jesus was teaching. Jesus was teaching God's business God's word God's words in his own temple he said it was a house of prayer that was Tuesday and Wednesday Wednesday was a really big day he came home exhausted in fact we spent a couple of weeks talking about things that Jesus said about his coming back again the disciples upon leaving the temple after Wednesday night said oh this is such a grand place how majestic is this thing and he said Jesus there's not gonna be one stone on top of another they're walking home to Bethany, the Mount of Olives would have been in between. As they're sitting down there, just resting, and I'm sure it would have been sunsetting, it would have been an evening of which Jesus made it a later evening visiting about Matthew 24, 25, the full all that discourse, talking about his coming. He said, you know what? That day is coming. And that temple was destroyed. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And he was sitting on the mountain of which will be the mountain that he literally will come at second coming and stand, and that mountain will split on the very place he was telling 2,000 years ago those disciples what was coming. All of those things would have come into much more fruition as those disciples would have understood with more detail what was taking place. Well, here we are back Thursday night. The disciples have, I'm convinced, no idea of what will happen in the next 24 hours. Even though Jesus has been very open, very fluid, he's told him repeatedly, listen, guys, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. And even goes on to say, I'm going to be crucified. I will be buried, but I will rise again. Now, to tie this into even what we talked about last week, um, we find that Judas, the one that had betrayed him, that Satan entered him at least two times, that's told in Scripture. One was, which that was the event we talked about last week, there was a woman by the name of Mary, none other than Mary who was the sister of Lazarus, which he had risen from the dead, that on that Saturday evening anointed Jesus' body for burial. This is the same woman that no doubt would have anointed her brother's body after he died. She takes a year's worth of, of uh, spikenard, and women, I'm not a perfume art expert I'm this, not but this was expensive. Have you ever went to town, girls, and bought a bottle of perfume that cost one year's wages? Please don't tell your husband. <laughs> That's what this cost. It was, a, it was an alabaster. In other words, a narrow neck, and it would have been down to the very sense of you could just take a drop or two. It was, very, it, was, it was pure. It was very, it was undiluted. I'll just say it that way. She, Mary, broke the top of the bottle off and poured the whole thing on Jesus' head and anointed his entire body. Now, I'm going to say to you, that must have been an overpowering sense of odor in that place. Now, the first one to get on her, and literally it passed through the entire group, was a man by Judas Iscariot who happened to just, by the way, be the treasurer who was also noted in the Gospels as being a thief. And he was ticked off. He says, what waste that is. Have you ever heard of the, the son of perdition? You know what that word perdition means? Waste. He saw as what Mary had done to her Savior, a waste in anointing his body, but literally he, being the son of perdition, had wasted his entire life. There's a man that really, truly wasted his life. But she was chastised for using a year's wages to anoint her Savior's body. And Jesus said, please let her alone. And then that was it was this parenthesis We're in Wednesday night, in the sense of chronological order, but to bring it back to how Judas would have got his mind wrapped around in betraying him, we had that little snippet last week, that parenthesis that described for us how Judas got there. And for him not to be able to get more money, for him to be able to steal more money, he was done with this program. He did not see Jesus' thing going anywhere ultimately at this point. Now, he was along for the ride. Uh, politics. So if you just and Jesus is in no way political, you can find that. Uh, remember, they brought that tax that tax question. How many guys like tax questions? <laughs> do you, do you, are you for taxes, Jesus? How is he going to answer that one, right? It was so good, though, wasn't it? They were waiting. They, ca- they had him. They were just, just they had him trapped finally, and Jesus says, "Well, give me a coin." So he brings him the coin and he says, "Well, whose picture is on there? Well, Caesar's. Well, then I'd give back to Caesar what's his. But be sure, this is the really cool part, he, he nailed it. He said, but be sure and give to God what's really his. Oh, and they went, oh, missed it, right? That's who Jesus was. But politically, you think about it, there's a whole lot of people that are there for the money, for the power, and the ride. Judas Iscariot was that person. He was a skilled, professional hypocrite. For three years, he had fooled everyone and the disciples except for Jesus Christ. John chapter 2 tells us that literally Jesus knew their hearts. He knew from the beginning of accepting Judas as being a disciple of what he would ultimately do. But Judas was skilled. Judas at that point then said, that's it. I need to make as much money off of this guy as I possibly can, which we went back to the Old Testament. 30 pieces of silver is what? The price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver, and this man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, whose blood was spilt, was shed for the ransom of many. The value amongst the men that he created was a stinking 30 pieces of silver. Whew. And it's only his blood that can redeem us. Only his blood. Just popped in my head now, but we think about this time of year, you're coming toward fall, and there's, there's different holidays and different events. There's one that no one talks about, rarely, that's Reformation Day. It's so on August 30, October 31st. How many of you celebrate Reformation Day? <laughs> <Explain that. laughs> uh, Reformation Day was the day that literally a man by the name of Martin Luther. Ah, now things are starting to dig in, right? Martin Luther went to the door of a church and he nailed something on there. It was 95 theses that was wrong with the church's doctrine. That began what was known as the Protestant Reformation. Literally, to me, it was a gift back from where the gospel had been. In other words, the scripture alone is foundational, the scripture alone is authoritative. But not only that, within the scripture, we find that by salvation is by grace alone. By Christ, I'm sorry, I missed one. By faith alone, right? Don't miss the faith. It's by grace alone in faith alone, by Christ alone, to give glory to God alone. Those five premises, quite honestly, were started when Martin Luther, on the day he nailed those theses to that door, said, the gospel is really within the scriptures, period. No traditions, it's in the Bible. And you know, in 1517, to where we are today, there's a whole lot of things that have been lost again, right? That was the day that we got the gospel back, if you will the true meaning of what Jesus Christ did. Here we are talking about Jesus' death with 1517 being smashed in between there. We're in 2022. Jesus spoke these words around 30 AD. He's 24 hours away from fulfilling what had been a promise. Think of way back in Genesis chapter 3. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? And there's always been blood required. Remember Adam and Eve, they sinned. What did they do? They traded God in for self. And that's what humans do self is more important than anything else if you see books that are bestsellers of looking out for number one get the best for yourself those are high sellers because who's in charge self self is on the throne that's what sin really does is you've put in self in the place of god you know what they did immediately is it says that the scriptures they noted that they were naked so they went down to the local store that sold fig leaves And they got the newest style, and they put those bad boys on, right? The, the very first thing that God did, something had to die. There had to be blood. There had to be blood to cover sin. That's been going on f- from that point on. Literally, Jesus, I'm sorry, God took two animal skins, it says, and covered Adam and Eve. The figs went away. The fig leaves went away. See, it, was, it cost more than we can understand. Even from Adam and Eve's first sin, what they saw as being different, and I can't imagine what that would be like. That truly would have been two completely changed human lives. To think about prior to sin, them walking in the garden in the afternoon, I'm going to say at 4 or 5 o'clock, I don't know, it's not given for us a time, but an afternoon to walk with God in the garden? Friends, what would have that been like? Amazing, right? And the next day, after they had walked in the garden, they sinned, and they knew they'd sinned, and they hid. That's what sin does. It makes you hide from God. And that's literally what men do without Jesus Christ and women. They hide from God. The only place they could go to be saved. Back to Thursday night. You notice I'm kind of branching out, but it's all tied together to the Bible, isn't it? It's his story. It's the unfolding of literally God's love and how he redeems those that need Jesus Christ. Thursday night Jesus is there. now we know that he had sent two disciples, Peter and John we saw that last week we read it today that they said, hey the Passover's coming now, a simple note there's a couple things that's taken place. Uh, tradition tells us and we're able to go back into writings of Josephus and some of the other Jewish writers that there were two ways of celebrating the Passover in the sense of time. The Galileans, the ones in the north, actually they went from sunrise to sunrise, and they celebrated the Passover on Thursday night. But if you were in Jerusalem or in Judea, they were a sundown to sundown, is how they saw it, they would celebrate their Passover meal on Friday night, okay? There was only one disciple that was not Galilean. Who was that guy? Judas Iscariot all of the rest of them would have come from Galilee. So this was very normal for them to celebrate, even though they are in Jerusalem, to celebrate the Passover on the Thursday evening before Friday. So the two said, well, where are we going to do our Passover meal? And Jesus said, well, why don't you just go down to the 600th block on the 6th Avenue in downtown Jerusalem? I mean, just give them street numbers, people, right? He didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. In fact, He told those two disciples, Peter and John, because he could count on those two guys, right? They got stuff done. He said, when you go into Jerusalem, you're going to find a man carrying a pitcher of water. (laughs) Okay. Now, for us, that seems there's probably more than one man carrying a pitcher of water in Jerusalem. Probably not. That was women that carried the water. That was just how it was, right? So, okay, okay, so, okay, we're going to watch for this guy that's carrying a pitcher of water. And I'm thinking, this is Jerusalem. This isn't like Sheridan or like, you know, I'm thinking, even my little hometown I grew up in, Tuttle, North Dakota. You, he would stick out. They would be the only person outside carrying water, right? Then this is Jerusalem. But he said, when you see that person, then follow him. Follow him into the house he goes, and then ask that owner of the house, which room do you want for the master and his disciples to eat the Passover? He will tell you. Then you prepare it. And here's something. I've read that for years and years. What's what's this? Why the mystique? Why the mystery? Why not just tell them where to go? Well, what had happened just previous to that, which we went through, was the fact of how Judas Iscariot now had had a plan. He went out to the chief priests. He went to the Pharisees. He said, I can get you your man, and I want as much money as you pay me for it, but I can get him for you. Now, keep in mind that the chief priest, this is, again, this is fascinating. It ties into last week. How are you going to get Jesus Christ dead at 3 o'clock in the afternoon at exactly when the Passover lambs are going to be slaughtered? On Nisan 14, because it's been declared that he is the Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He is our Passover. Now, the Jews had already said, we cannot do it this week. Just forget about that. It's too contentious. We can't take... Literally hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem that actually liked this guy because they crowned him king on Monday. (laughs) Oh, have we underestimated the heart of the human being. Jeremiah said the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? On Monday, he was king. On Friday, he was on a tree crucified. How could that be? Underestimated the hearts of men. But at any point... Where would Judas betray Jesus? In a place that is just completely saturated with Passover celebrants. Well, it would have to be quiet, very quiet, out of the spotlight. Certainly couldn't, you know, in other words, you just want one octopus to Jesus, he's in the temple teaching. There he is, take him. Oh, huge riot. In fact, the chief priests knew that. They knew we, we can't do it this week. We can do it another time, but not now. Can't do it. But God, in his perfect planning, he's sovereign over everything, took the those. Those people that wanted him dead, that weren't even going to do it that week, brings the the point of uh, the, what, I, what I want to say. That pointed time at exactly, three o'clock in the afternoon, which I'm going forward now, when Jesus said, "It is finished." And for him to rise up with wind, with air, because that's how you die in crucifixion, is you finally become asphyxiated. You can't hold enough air to live. You literally die of suffocation. For him, this is the point again, no man took Jesus' life. No man, no country, no government, no nothing took Jesus Christ's life. That Jesus died for you and for me willingly, and he did it purposefully. In fact, John 10, 18 says that everything. No man taketh my life. I lay it down myself. Thank you, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a rebellion that fell short. No, 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 no. This is literally the plan of God that unfolded perfectly at that time. So Judas would have to find his moment. Now, what if Jesus would have said, if you just go down to that place on the top floor, I'll be there about sundown. Who do you think would have been the first person there with a group of men? That man's name is Judas Iscariot. But Judas didn't know where they were going. John and Pe- in fact, they didn't even go back home, Peter and John. They stayed after preparing the meal. So when Judas came, he came to find out for the first time as well. And the only time he left was after the supper was completed, because this is something, this is important. This event had to happen. This is the last Passover and the first communion, if you will. And Jesus is in charge. No one could know except at the right moment. That's where we find ourselves tonight. this Thursday night. Jesus Christ is about to offer himself. Let's take our Bibles in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. We've been going through the, the gospel of Mark primarily, but Mark chapter 10 verse 45, which is probably, um, may, maybe I'm speaking a little bit forward, but some would believe that probably the most important verse, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, this literally summarizes everything that Jesus came to do. Mark ten forty-five: for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister or to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That totally describes what Jesus came to do. In Luke chapter 22, verses 15 and 16 sets up really what we're about, this situation where we're at on this night. Luke 22:15 and verse 16. This would be Luke's parallel passage. It says, he said unto them, verse 15, Luke chapter 22, with desire, I have desire to eat this passover with you. Did you see eat this passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not anymore, I will I will not anymore eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's what's brought them here. This is literally the last Passover. This is the last event for the Passover to take place, which has been 1,500 years in its entirety. Now, there's a sequence, and I don't want to get bogged down too much into it, but the sequence of a Passover, would it would start with a prayer. It would be a prayer of thanks for them gathering, to the, for them to be there. It would follow with what would be the first cup of wine, and particularly, it would have been double diluted now that's a whole other study for some time. Uh, talking about today's alcohol and Israel's time of alcohol, very very different. But I, I can't get into that today. But the point of the matter was is this first cup of wine, red wine, would have been double diluted with water. Okay, then it would have been followed with a, pr- uh, a, uh, a washing of hands washing of hands. Now, there's a lot of events. Th- this will be some homework for you. Uh, John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, those events that John takes a great deal in unfolding, John 13 through 17 took place on this night, Thursday night, between the time that they entered into that upper room and the next morning of which he was betrayed. I- I'm sorry, when he was actually on trial and was taken off to be slain. Those hours into that, from sunset probably to midnight and beyond, all of that John chapter 13 through 17 take place. As they would have washed their hands, it was the thought of the process in the Passover that they needed to be clean. They needed to be prepared. They needed to be holy, if you will. Now, during that event of that cleansing of hands, do you remember what the disciples were arguing about? Well, Luke tells us. Turn to Luke chapter 22 for a moment. And it says in verse 23... He, he had told him who was, somebody's was going to betray him. But let's keep going. Verse twenty-three, uh, Luke chapter twenty-two. They began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. In other words, betray Jesus. Watch verse 124. and there was also a strife. What do you know about strife? It's friction, right? There's some there's some back and forth stuff going on here. There's a strife about what? Who? Which of them should be accounted as the greatest? Are you kidding me? well again what do they have in their mind what's the first thing if you, if you just punch their button what do they talk about the kingdom when is the kingdom of God coming because you're the Messiah in fact John, Peter had correctly in Matthew chapter 16 said Jesus said who do men say that I am well some say you're John the Baptist and some say that you're this and some you you well who do you say that I am you are the Christ Peter said you are the Christ the son of the living God presto that's a touchdown spiritually you got it good job Peter So if you have the Messiah, you have the Christos, the anointed one, the king, then obviously it's time for the kingdom, right? Wrong. That's not why Jesus came the first time. He came to fix the inside, not the outside. And do you remember this now? This is the thing, another thing we shared last week. Right after that, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus declared very, very clearly, I'm going to be killed be buried and i'm going to rise again and peter it says took him aside and said oh no no stop it you're not going to die this is not for you remember what jesus said to him i mean this was sternness this was this was in your face peter what did he say get behind me satan satan didn't want jesus dead Satan can read the Old Testament. Satan can see all of the promises that God promised to mankind that he would literally redeem them through the death of the Messiah in Isaiah. The last thing Satan would want is Jesus on the cross. And you say, wait a minute. What was Satan's purpose in entering Judas? We saw it even today. We read it in our passage, right? It says that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. I've thought for years it was to go get Jesus dead. No. Because that's contrary to what Jesus had said about the plan that Peter said. No, you're not going to die, Jesus. And Jesus said, "Get behind me, Satan!" Because that's that's God's plan. At three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday on Nissan 14, I, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will be crucified for the sins of the world. Satan knew that with all of the riots as potential, because all of these people are gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover. He enters, Satan, enters Judas to get a riot going so that Jesus is literally just carried away. You think, if you don't think so, look at the temptations that Jesus was tempted by Satan. He wanted to give him the kingdom of the world before he died, right? That was always his plan. No death for Jesus because Jesus was dying for the mankind. Can you see all of these things that are working supposedly against what God's timing is? And here's Jesus this night on Thursday night saying... I'm here for you. We're doing this, this last Passover, because before I suffer, that was new, before I suffer, I want to do this with you before I suffer. Let's see what else is different. Let's see what else is different. Let's go back to Mark. Mark chapter 14, Mark 14. Back to 17, verse 17, in the evening he cometh with the twelve. The rest of the twelve, the two, Peter and John, were not told that they ever went back to Bethany. They stayed there, and the other ten would have come with him in the evening. After sunset, it would have been the beginning of the Passover day. As they sat and did eat, the beginning of this, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. Um, and we sort of gloss over that. We know the end of the story. We know how that unfolds and how you unpack it. But for Jesus to talk about in this intimate setting, this upper room where they're gathered to eat the Passover, for him to state that someone in that group, those 13 men, Jesus being one, one of those 12 would betray him. I can't tell you in stern enough words what that would have done to those. That would be the most incredible, the most insidious criminal thing ever done because to eat a man's food in, what I would say, in communion, I'm not no, no pun on a communion, but just to be in fellowship with someone To eat your food and then betray that man? There is nothing lower or more despicable than that. And those 12, 11, excuse me, there's one that knew what he was going to do. He was all over it. He'd been planning this for a while. Is it me? Who? They were totally couldn't figure out who this, this guy was skilled, Judas Iscariot. For three years, he'd fooled everyone. They are broken by this. This is totally messed with their minds. Who could this be at the outset? But it didn't take him long, right? Remember, I'm better than you are. You just wait till this kingdom happens, John. I, Peter, I am moving to the top. This cabinet settings, I mean, Jesus, is just, he's just getting those cabinet positions. filled now, and I can guarantee you, John, I'm going to be better than you are. Oh, knock it off, Peter. You've got too big a mouth. I, Andrew, will be far superior. Can you, just going on in this, oh, you must have almost made Jesus cry. No, he did something even better than that. Now chronologically we don't know all the events that took place, but in John chapter thirteen, that's in your homework, you'll find something that he did that totally must have removed all of that pride out of that room for that time and really put focus back on humility, which is Jesus is there because of that. What did he do? Just quiet I can just now I, I don't know, but I just knowing. You got that turmoil that's striking on the room and all of a sudden Jesus takes off his garments and grabs the water. and begins washing their feet. That got their attention. <laughs> what had he said to his disciples? What had he said to his disciples? You will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. You know how the church, how Christians affect the world that's around them? By the love they have for one another. See, that word strife would have not been so foreign to everything that Jesus was about. I think that was about the time when they had the washing of the hands because they were arguing while they were trying to get righteous and holy. <laughs> Jesus said, I'll tell you what, let me point to, let's go right inside on this, okay? Let's go right inside. Let's talk about your hearts. All of that taking place in these moments of solitude. Judas was getting nervous, right? <laughs> as I think it's the first time that he knew, finally, Jesus knows. In fact, he was so foolish as to, Is it I, Master? (laughs) And Jesus said, as a matter of fact, it is. And then it says, after he, and then John, in fact, let's go to John, uh, let's see, what chapter would that be? I think it's, uh, let's go to John 13, I think. Yeah, let's go to John chapter 13, verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit, John 13, 21, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I truly, truly, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one another, doubting of whom he spoke. Who could this be? And there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Who is that? John. He's the one that's described as the, is the, the disciple that Jesus loved. Now watch verse 24. Here's Sam Peter. Hey, 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 John. Simon Peter therefore beckoned him. That would be like giving him an elbow, right? He, he's probably, and again, we're not sitting at a table like that. It's a picture on the wall. You'd be reclining, someone on a couch situation where you'd be resting in your arm, and your feet would be away from the table, and you would be joined kind of around for a long, in, I would have to say, a long session of conversation. This went on for hours, actually, on this night. And no doubt, John was next to Jesus on one side, and we know that Judas, was the pla- he had the place of honor. Jesus is right. He, can you believe that? Jesus made the place of honor on the night he was betrayed by that very man that he knew he would be betrayed by, made him give him one last chance, made him the place of honor. But to the other side of Jesus must have been John. And Peter was next to John. Hey, 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 John, ask him who it is. And it says that John, let's read it out of the scriptures, verse 24. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake, that he then lying on Jesus' breast saying, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it, he it is to whom I shall dip, give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, as Satan entered into him, then, Jesus, then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. That no doubt would have happened in the next sequence in the Passover meal. After the, the washing of hands, there would have been the eating of bitter herbs. That would have been an unleavened piece of bread that they would have had a paste made out of fruits, and nuts, and then bitter herbs of which you would have, put, you would have dipped that, that bread into and then eaten it. During that time, that's what Jesus literally was doing. Right then, early on, before he ate the Passover lamb, Judas Iscariot, he left. Now, the disciples thought that he was just going to get, get some business done because he's the treasurer. He's the smart guy with the money. So they thought he just left for that reason. Literally, he was gone from that the rest of that night. He had been found out, if you will. He was on to everything that he had wanted to do for those periods of months of what he was doing. Uh, Just to show you, back in Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, the psalm speaks about being betrayed in verse 9. It says in Psalm 41, 9, Yes, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. That's exactly what Judas did. That's exactly what he did. Judas, there's an interesting thing. Now, God in all of his sovereignty. In fact, let's uh, back to Mark chapter 14 and verse 21, I believe it is. Let me go back there a moment. Mark chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus speaks to this. In verse 20, it is one of the 12 that dippeth with me in the dish, verse 20. Then verse 21, watch this. The Son of Man indeed goeth. In other words, it's going to be just as written of Him, just as the Scriptures say, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for him, that man, if he had never been born. Within that verse is something that we have God's sovereignty. There isn't anything that Judas could have done to have dismissed or or made the time frame of Jesus dying on a cross at 3 o'clock on, on uh, Nisan 14 in the year... 30 A.D., nothing he could have done that would change that. But he is just as responsible for every choice he ever made. For three years he walked with Jesus Christ, heard everything, watched him calm the wind, watched him calm the storm, watched him walk, that Lazarus walked out of a tomb. All of the power that he exhibited, Jesus Christ, over all of those various instruments and uh, uh, things of nature, all of that, death included, Judas Iscariot made a choice. And he's responsible for that choice. Even though God used those events to fit together perfectly. The things that are going on in our world today, I've, I've not seen anything like it. We are on a free fall, a spiral out of control. But you know what? Those events God will use to bring to fruition everything that he speaks about in his word. You cannot get to the book of Revelation and the great tribulation without those events unfolding as they are. But but mark this now, every single person that knows the difference between right and wrong is responsible for the choices they make. That's the way it is. And the really cool part is, is God's choice before the foundation of the world in Ephesians chapter 1 says that he had beforehand determined that Jesus Christ would die for mankind. I am really glad he made that choice because I wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be here today. If you're just fending for yourself and there's so many people today that are just trying to buy God off, that's why Reformation Day tomorrow, October 31st, as Martin Luther would have nailed those theses to that door in saying, the Scripture alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. That totally sets it up perfectly. If you are someone you know that is trying to gain salvation by works, by getting enough on your checklist, there's enough good to offset the bad, you are not only wasting your time and your life, you are immensely disillusioned. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And we inherited by Adam the sin nature. And there is no way around that. Something you can do nothing about. It is Christ alone. And here he is, living on earth, laying out before these disciples. This is the last of the Passover. I am that Passover. In fact, look what he says. This is new information. Mark chapter 14, back there. It says, as they did eat, you would have come to the eating of the bitter herbs. Then they would have sung some psalms, probably Psalm 113, 114, called halal. They would have another cup of wine. And then they would have the eating of the lamb. Verse 22 as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, watch now, and said, take and eat, this is my body. Now, those of you that have been in communion service probably numerous, numerous times, you have heard that phrase numerous times. For the disciples, that was new information. That was new information. This is my body. Wait a minute, this is the Passover. Exactly. This is, the full, this is the full consummation of the final Passover. Up till now, all of the, think of those covenants. There was the Noahic Covenant. There was the Davidic Covenant. There was the Abrahamic Covenant. There was the Mosaic Covenant. Every one of those was a promise in the future. Now, it says that Jesus, because he was the Passover, signed or fulfilled a new covenant. And guess what? It was not a promise in the future happened right then because of what jesus did on that day those many years ago we sitting here today if if you've trusted christ as savior can turn around and look back and say that was a fulfillment of a promise that even made way back in genesis speaking of that one that would come from the seed of woman that would crush the head of the satan or the serpent that was a promise but this is a fulfillment you're here to, I'm glad I'm on this side of that promise. I wouldn't have been nearly as good in the Old Testament looking for, yeah, well, that'll be the day, won't it? And just go about your business and have to go, go I'd have to have a large herd of animals <laughs> because, right, the only way that you can get, there's the sacred thank you, Peter, for filling that in. I would have to have a large herd, not because I deserve one, but I just have to have one for all of the sins I probably would commit, and you have to go down and get it taken, but it's never taken care of. That's a really key, imp- it was called atonement. Atonement is covering. It was not a true substitute, only for the sense of covering. Jesus Christ became your substitute. God saw you, I'm sorry, saw Jesus Christ on the cross as if it was you having lived your life of which he paid the price so that you could live a life that Jesus lives, pure and holy and righteous. And one day, those of you that are in Christ will be with him forever, forever. Now, When he said, this is my body, literally within 24 hours, his body would be hung on a cross. the pain and the anguish that he must have suffered, I can't describe for you. In fact, he wasn't even recognizable, I'm sure, by the time he was beaten. And I look at all of those players all the way along the line, Pilate particularly at the end. He had an innocent man. He declared him to be innocent. I find nothing wrong with this man. He's innocent. And yet he still had him killed, turned him over to be killed. That's my Jesus. He took it all. Wow. Then he goes on to say, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. They all drank of it. He said this, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. That statement is so incredibly powerful. Let's go to Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. And again, this is just popping in my mind here, but Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Um, there are those that teach. Well, I'll just say it like this. There's another holiday that has, actually happens around the same time. and It's called, from way back when, Constantine initiated it from Halloween, which was from the Celtics and the Druids. But there was one that we kind of like took that back, and they called it All Saints Day. Okay? And it was to commemorate, to look back, and historically to all of those that were martyred particularly, but all of the saints. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Until you dig into it. The thought behind it was, literally, that those people would have went through cemeteries. They would have prayed for the dead. What did that verse just tell us? It is appointed unto men to die once and then the judgment. We don't pray to dead people. In fact, that's necromancy. That's how Saul lost his life. It's a serious thing. We have this life, we have our last breath, and then eternity is in our face. I can't tell you what that's like, but I know what the Bible says. You have this life to get it right. You have this life to accept Christ, accept the Passover. Anything else? You've missed it. Purgatory, that is, that is wrong. It is not only extra biblical. It's wrong, period. There's no in-between transit. What do you do with Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27? It's clear, isn't it? But look at this. This is what Jesus was alluding, or what the disciples would have known, is in chapter 10, verse 3 of Hebrews, in those sacrifices, they have made many sacrifices, there's a remembrance, again, made of sins every year. He had to do this every year. The Passover, it was accomplished every year, wasn't it, right? have got to do it again next year, and next year, and next year, and next year. You sin, you have to sacrifice. But look at this, verse 4. For it is, it is not possible that the blood of goats and of bulls should take away sins. That has been the problem from the very beginning. And Jesus now is saying, this blood, this cup is my blood, which is for the ransom for many. He has told this story multiple times that I am being sacrificed for you. And this is where the last Passover, this is the last lamb. There's no more lambs need to be done. We don't need any more priests. He has stepped in. He is our high priest, period. It's done. And for those disciples to witness, have witnessed that very essence of the end of the Passover, the last one. Now, just a minute. He said something, though, didn't he? He said, I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God, verse 25. Let's go back to Luke for a moment. Why do, we, why do you partake in communion or I guess that's what we know it mostly as? Why do you do that? Verse 19 of Luke chapter 22. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it on to them saying, this is my body which is given for you, this do in, what's the word? remembrance of me that's what it's about Uh, that that bread does not become his flesh you've heard of transubstantiation you've heard of consubstantiation those are where literally those elements the bread becomes Jesus Christ's flesh himself and the blood becomes his very blood no it's not that at all it's literally are you ready remembering me it's bread and it's wine it's just elements that literally allow us to remember exactly what Jesus Christ accomplished. Now, there is one more. Did you know this? There's one more Passover that will happen. You'll find it in Ezekiel chapter 45 and verses 21 and 22. In the millennial kingdom, in those chapters, Ezekiel 40 to 48 talks about a new temple that will be built in that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, that theocracy. And within that thousand-year reign, in Ezekiel chapter 45, there's going to be one more Passover that's described of Jesus presiding over. That literally the memorial is not about the lamb of the exodus of Israel. It will be the lamb that was slain for the removal of sin from the world, the Passover of sin itself. That will be taking place in the millennium. But it's also the communion, the time of us sharing, remembering Jesus Christ as being our Savior, that will go on as well. It's like the two will actually be joined in the millennium. Now, for us, those of you that are in Jesus Christ, now, it's interesting. Did you see who did not participate in this Passover or in this communion service? Mm -hmm. Judas Iscariot. He had no part of him. This is for believers only. This is for those that have trusted Christ. This is how that flesh and that blood becomes is the fact that you must trust Christ alone. If you're on a works program, that is, you're helping God, to get saved, you've got the wrong package. You've got the wrong program. Jesus Christ accomplished everything. I remember I was in a conversation with a, a young man um, from a cult, um, but he came, and we had a great visit many years ago. And interestingly enough, I'd met this individual at another place, at the location that I lived, in Miles City. It's too long a story. but and I. Was, and I kind of remembered him. Anyway, but he was on a, I, I would just say a journey. I'll, I'll say it that way. And uh, he, we get into spiritual things. We're just visiting. You know, it was like you could tell that you had to abstain from things and you had to really master other things. There was, was a list. You could see the list. And I said, well, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 are the key to salvation. For by grace are you saved, through faith. It is not of yourselves, lest men would boast. It is the gift of God. It is a gift. It's a a gift. And he, he just couldn't grab it. He couldn't. You know, it was like, but you have to do your part. I said, what part do you have to do? What part didn't Jesus do? Because if you could do a part, or if you could do any of it, then Jesus would never come at all. Well, you have to do your part. Okay. I said, so, for instance. And I think I said this. I said what would happen if if I committed adultery today, and I trusted Christ and I died tonight. What would happen to me? Well, a legalistic mind would say what? He said, "Well, there's no hope for you." Okay? I said, "So you're helping God out." Now, God forbid, I said, "God forbid that that would happen." That's not God's plan, but God forbid that, but so we went on a couple of different examples, What if, and I said this, and I said, what if you told a little tiny white lie today, just a little tiny one, just, just one that only you knew was not true? Well, that's different. <laughs> so then I said, let's go to James 2.10. Let's go to James 2.10 for just a moment. James chapter 2 and verse 10. James 2.10. This was... Uh, This scripture came because Jesus' half brother, the one James, that really didn't know that Jesus was who he said he was until after he was risen from the dead, he appeared to him. But look at verse 10 of chapter 2 of James. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. (laughs) That poor young man. I said, What happened to you? I don't know. I said, that's really, really important because it's all about Jesus Christ. If your faith is in Jesus Christ alone, and him alone is the only way to be saved. And he took off like a mashed rabbit. I said, I'll be praying for you. (laughs) But but see what it does. Now, I hope, and and we need to pray for that young man. He's not a young man. This has been a long time ago. He's he's an older man. But this point of the matter was, at that point right there, he had a choice to make. What am I going to do with that? See, it's the same for us today. If we're trusting in any of our works pros or cons and you're trying to do it on your own that's not what Jesus died for. Jesus didn't need you to die with him. You need to die to Jesus. He is the one that's fully and completely 100% in control and he's the one that paid for the price. He's the only one that could have gotten it done because he's the only one that never sinned. And on that night Just hours before he would be hanging on a cross, Jesus is sharing everything with them intimately. I can't imagine the emotion that Jesus must have felt because now with just a very short period of time, he's literally going to be perspiring drops of blood. The anguish that's in his soul. And it's not just for the pain, but the part that's never happened before. And we're told that from noon on Friday until 3 o'clock, this earth is dark. You know what's taking place? God the Father is turning His back on God the Son, who is bearing all of the sins of the world. That, my friends, there's no way to describe what Jesus Christ would have felt with that distress. That's what he knew was coming. and it didn't matter. he still laid down his life for us. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. In fact, probably the verse that maybe capitalizes that and then we'll be done. Second Corinthians chapter five verse 21. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21. For he that hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's a gift that I cannot speak with enough magnanimousness. It's so over the top, and it's a gift that's yours to take for free, but without it, you're doomed but with it, eternal life. And it's your choice. Just as Judas Iscariot for three years, I, I, I find that hard to believe. How could Judas Iscariot travel in the steps of Jesus, watch all that he did, watch all of the things that he conquered, all of the power that he exhibited? And again, that's the other thing. I, I love this because as we've studied through Mark, the people that wanted Jesus to exhibit power, show us another sign. Never one time did he do that. Do you know what God Jesus... To powerfully demonstrate power? Compassion. Compassion. When he came upon those that were demon-possessed, when he came on those that had health issues, when he had those that literally, in Lazarus' case, that had died, the people were in desperate need is when Jesus' compassion, his power just was exuded from him. And Judas watched that for three years and sold him, sold my Savior, sold your Savior for 30 pieces of silver. If an ox would gore a slave, we looked at in Exodus, That's what it cost. You had to repay that slave owner 30 pieces of silver, and that's what my Jesus, my Savior, my one, that one drop of his righteous, precious, holy blood would save me from my sins was betrayed at the hands of men for 30 pieces. We've got a holiday coming, Thanksgiving, that has been forgotten, isn't it? It's been forgotten. We call it Turkey Day, we call it it seems like it's a football day. It's it's there's all kinds of different things, right? But you know what? If there's one that we really need to get a hold of, it's Thanksgiving. That's the one they can't get quite far enough out of the way fast enough because Christmas is here and we've got to have Black Friday so we can sell stuff, right? <laughs> and we've missed we've missed everything that God has given to us, particularly in America. I, I do not know of another nation that has blessed so much for so long, which is our biggest problem. Literally, today, we've lost fact. We've lost tr- the focus of what God has really accomplished for us. You look at our founding fathers in those 1700s, late 1700s, and what they stood up for. And no, not every one of them was a Christian. I'm, I'm smart enough to know that. But there was a respectfulness on who God was. There was a respectfulness of what he had done. And there was something about standing firm with God that things could be changed. I'm here to say today in 2022, it looks very dismal for our our nation today. It really does. But my God is still the same God that allowed our founding fathers to win the Revolutionary War against a nation that did not want us to be able to worship God freely. That same God is still in charge. So if we as men and women and children get on God's side and see his stuff as being really important and taking him with us, Then anything is possible. As that angel (laughs) told dear young teenager Mary, who was going to have a baby from the Holy Spirit, that was a first-timer, right? And she says, how could this be? Remember what the angel said? With God, nothing is impossible. And what looked like a complete disaster after Adam and Eve sinned, that looked impossible. God should have just started over, just wiped it out and started over. No, he says, I've had a plan from the very beginning. Before there was a beginning, before there was time, before there was anyone or anything, I had determined that Jesus Christ would die for your sins. And ultimately, eternally, you will live with me forever if you accept that gift. Men and women, that is the best story, the best gospel, the best news that I could share for you this day or any other day is that not only is God in control, God loves you, and He took His Son and put Him on a cross and paid for your sins. We have a lot to be thankful for. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. Father God, we can't measurably give You enough thanks for what was accomplished. The anguish, the suffering... All of those things that our Savior Jesus would have encompassed him in these last hours. And he did it because he chose to. Christ died according to the Scriptures. It was accomplished. Even when Satan didn't want Jesus dead. At least not for that reason. Men wanted Jesus dead, but not that time. Father, your sovereignty just is so bold, so stark in your accomplishments. And you are not slack in your promises that Christ will come again. But this time he will come in judgment. The first time he came to save, to seek and to save that which was lost. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Father, well, we just bow in humility, thanking you for the precious gift of salvation. And as we were instructed to remember during our communion services, to remember what Christ had done. Bless these that are here today, Father. You know where they're going, their life steps, their journey that you've placed them for. It's just as Esther was told for just a time just as this. It's no accident that each and every one of these are here today, on this day, October 30th, 2022. And in these travels that they go this week, there will be people that need what they have to say. Give them the message, just as you instilled in the disciples that grand and amazing commission that was given to them prior to Jesus Christ leaving this earth. Forty days after his resurrection, literally 11 disciples, he said to you, there's a mission that you would evangelize the entire world and to make them disciples. Father, you have seen that come through. You have seen it happen. Father, we bow at your feet, praising you, thanking you. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.